Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Now, uh, it's my pleasure to invite Doug Conning up here. Doug, Doug has, um, well, he's going to tell a little bit more of his story, so I don't want to jump into it. But he's been just a pleasure to work with and uh, a huge supporter of Quest. He and Sharon have done a lot of stuff with School of Kingdom Ministry, and, and he led the prayer service uh, before the election. And so we're excited to have him share with us this morning. So please help me welcome Doug Conning. Good morning. All right. My name is Doug Conning, and my wife, Sherry, seated right there, and uh, my, my th- I have three kids as well, Abby, Tim, I don't see Tim, and uh, Andrew is a, a student at OSU, and we won't talk about OSU this morning, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm, uh, my name is Doug Conning, and I usually like to hide, I mean, a seat, sit back here on the back row. And if the pastors ever ask you to sit up here on the front row, run. <laughs> Actually, no, I'd like to just uh, start by thanking Pastor uh, Jeremy and Ross for allowing me to come this morning and, and just present what I feel like God is saying for uh, 2017. So let me start today by just wishing everyone a happy New Year's. Tis the season for making resolutions to improve our lives, right? Everyone, everyone made their resolutions? Anyone break theirs already? <laughs> yeah. Well, if you haven't made your resolutions, I thought I'd start this morning. I found 10 resolutions on the Internet uh, by kids that may help us make resolutions for 2017. So no, the first one, number 10. Joseph, who is age four, his resolution is to play video games. Jane, who is age six, her resolution is to go to Disney World. That's a good one there. You guys like that? This next one's great. Kate says her resolution is to stop biting her nails because her mom says she's going to make her wear nail polish that tastes like rotten eggs if she doesn't stop. Mmm, Nice. Oh, this one's cute. Annie says her resolution is to help doggies like if they're stuck on cliffs. (laughs) How many make resolutions for dieting every year? You're like, oh, I got shit. Well, these these next three will actually help you in your dieting goals, okay? First of all, Hunter says his goal, his resolution is to eat 10 bags of clementines each month. (laughs) Jude says... Hers is to eat more bananas because I only eat two or three every day. (laughs) And I like this one here. Will, his resolution is to eat all the cake. (laughs) And Greta's is great. Five-year-old Greta says hers is to open a present every day, right? Yeah? And then Hannah, this is great. This one's for you guys right up here on the front row. Hers is to, she's six and a half, by the way. Hers is to start a Jesus band. That's a great resolution, is it not? 
All right. And then finally, the last one is to not make a resolution at all. How many agree with, with that one? According to Forbes, of the 40% of Americans who make resolutions, only 8% of those actually keep their resolutions. Though I'm personally not much for, for making resolutions every year, I do believe it is a time for us to, to pause and wait upon the Lord and say, God, what is your will? What is your desire for this next coming year? I think it's very important for us as Christians. It also allows us to align ourselves to anything that he is saying, to kind of correct anything in our lives that needs to be corrected, but also to say, okay, this is what I'm going to be focusing. This is the word for the, of the Lord for me for the next year. This morning, we're going to be focusing on 2017 and how the scriptures say that we can live a worthy life. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Colossians 1. We're going to start with verse 9, and we'll start reading from that in just a moment. In the World War II movie, Saving Private Ryan, Matt Damon plays Private James Ryan, whose three brothers were killed in action during the initial Normandy invasion. And in order to spare Mrs. Ryan any more grief, orders were given to Captain Miller, played by Tom Hanks, to lead his squad behind enemy lines to find and retrieve Private Ryan. His company reluctantly embarks on a dangerous mission to, to find Private Ryan, with several of his own men questioning why they were obeying these orders and why Private Ryan's life was worth more than their own. Captain Miller reveals that the reason he is obeying the orders from his superiors is that he hopes to ex expedite his own return home to his wife. The mission to find and retrieve Pri Private Ryan ended up costing many of the lives of Captain Miller's squad. They sacrificed their lives for Private Ryan. And in the final battle scene, Captain Miller lays fatally wounded and with his dying breath says to Private Ryan, James, earn this, earn it. In the Bible, there's a similar situation where the Apostle Paul is in prison. He's in Rome and he's waiting trial. He, uh, while he's waiting trial, he pens a letter to the Colossians church stating the following. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We can continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for 2016. We thank you for the many things that you've done in our lives, in our nation, in our community. And Lord, as we look forward to 2017, we pray, God, that you would show us how we can live a life that is worthy of the sacrifice that Christ has made. I ask that your Holy Spirit would come, that your anointing would be here, and Lord, that you would move and minister in our, in our presence. We give you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's prayer for the Colossians was that they would know God's will so that they could live a life worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made for them and please him in every way. Many years ago, my wife Sherry and I, we lived in East Texas and we were part of a ministry called Youth with a Mission. We're in a mission, a Christian missionary organization and we got to travel quite a bit uh, to foreign countries and throughout the United States as well. In, the, in our small little community called Garden Valley, Texas, uh, there were many other ministries, Last Days, some people may be familiar with Last Days, there was uh, Mercy uh, Ships Ministries, Harvest, there was a lot of different ministries. But one of the ministers in our area was an old-time, fiery English evangelist by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. Anyone ever heard of the name of uh, Leonard Ravenhill? powerful man of God. And our ministry would invite him to come and speak every once in a while. And I just remember every time he spoke, it seemed like I would go up to the prayer chapel and I'd get down on my knees like, oh God, forgive me, because his message was so powerful and so uncompromising. Incredible man of God. Leonard Ravenhill uh, impacted the lives of people like Keith Green, Robbie Zacharias, Tommy Tinney, and many others. On Mr. Ravenhill's gravestone, he, had, he actually died about 20 years ago, is inscribed his life's motto. It states, Are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? Isn't that profound? In order to live a life worthy of Christ's sacrifice, Paul admonished us to focus on four things. First of all, bearing fruit in every good work. When you envision the Garden of Eden, where God created and placed Adam and Eve, what do you envision? Do you envision a handful of plants with some scrawny-looking fruit? Or do you envision a garden full of, fruit, of plants with so many plants that it would take a lifetime to discover every one of them, with fruit without any blemish and fruit that is so full of juices? Which do you envision? Our God loves variety. All we have to do is look around us and we see so much variety. Oftentimes, it's the world, not God, that demands uniformity and crushes variety and creativity. God's desires are so much more for us than what we can even imagine. In 1989, I was traveling with a missionary team across Europe visiting both Eastern and Western Bloc nations with the purpose of praying that God would open up doors for the gospel to spread throughout Europe and that revival would come to his church. One time we were in France and, and we were riding on a train when an enthusiastic young man came up to our team and said, Have you heard the news? They've opened the Berlin Wall. 
Our team stayed on the train and we arrived in Berlin the day after they opened the wall. And I was able to take this picture here as people were walking through the checkpoints. Many would come through and they would raise their hands. Many of them were sobbing and crying as they they stepped into freedom for the first time. Our team stood there and we, we gave thanks to God for what we were witnessing. But we also prayed that these people coming into freedom would find only the true freedom that Christ brings into our lives. Oftentimes during my trips throughout communistic Russia, Romania, Hungary, and Poland... Part of my task was to go to the grocery store in that country to help uh, collect food for our team. And there was a drastic difference between an American grocery store and a Soviet or a communistic grocery store. We go down here to uh, Kroger's and Giant Eagles and we go into a store and we'll see an entire row of cereal alone, more, more selection than you can even imagine. When you go into a communistic uh, store, oftentimes the shelves would be empty. And the shelves that weren't empty, they'd have one item. So if you wanted cereal, it was one type of cereal. If you wanted canned good, it was one type of canned good. Detergent, one item. Toilet paper, one item. And the toilet paper was not ultra Charmin plus. (laughs) It was like crepe paper. Mr. Whipple was not telling people don't squeeze it, you know? That's a joke for us older people here. Communism squashed any type of individuality, any type of variety. God longs for variety. When it comes to each of us producing fruit, God is not looking just for cookie cutters. He's looking for a church that produces a garden variety of fruit that stem from the unique giftings and personalities that he has given to us. Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We bring uh, glory to God when we bear fruit for his kingdom. So how do we, how do we increase the fruit in our lives? First of all, understand. Understand the giftings that God has given you. Second, prune out things that distract and hinder. And third, focus your energies and your efforts on producing fruit. I think that sometimes we're afraid to produce fruit, to try new things for God, as we don't want to dishonor Him. We think that others are better equipped, more knowledgeable, or they have been Christians longer Or we see our own mistakes and we wonder how God could use us. Several years ago, Sherry and I were uh, buying, actually we were building our first home. It was in in Indiana. Prior to that, we had lived in a plethora of different apartments and a a mobile home in East Texas and a townhouse in Colorado. This was was our first real home. And uh, in in an effort to save money, we only had the front sodded. And we had the backyard seeded. And it took forever for that grass to grow in the backyard. And when the grass did finally start to grow, weeds sprung up with it. So we contracted with Kimlon to come out. And they would come out and they would spray fertilizer, but they'd also spray weed killer to kill the weeds. 
And about a week or two later, the weeds would come back and we'd have Kimlon back out and they would spray again. And this happened over and over and over again. And then one time I had one of their, their technicians out and he said something to, rather profound to me. He said, that, he said instead of uh, focusing on the weeds, you should be focusing on producing more grass. <laughs> Isn't that true in our own lives as well? Sometimes we focus on our own weeds, our own limitations, our own weakness, and we forget to focus on producing fruit that bring God glory. God is not an ogre demanding more and more from us. That's not what I'm trying to communicate this morning. He's not like the Pharaoh who's demanding more bricks from the slaves while taking away resources. To the contrary, I can envision God walking through a beautiful garden, looking at each of the unique plants that he personally planted. And then he comes to you and I, and he looks at our lives, and he longs to see the fruit in our lives that he knows that will bring satisfaction and fulfillment in our lives as we expand his kingdom and bring more people into the kingdom. It's an awesome privilege, and it's something that we need to be praying in 2017, saying, God, help me produce more fruit for your kingdom. Uh, Find the areas in my life, God, that's hindering me from producing these fruit and weed those things out. But, But anoint and multiply. The second admonition of Paul for living a life that is worthy of the sacrifice that Christ has paid for us is to grow in the knowledge of God. Now this term, knowledge of God, isn't just about intellectual knowledge. It's about having a relationship with God. It's growing in that relationship. It's not just intellectual, but it's experiential with God. Several times in my own life, I've gone through seasons of dryness in my walk with God. Times in which I had no desire to wait on God. I recall a time uh, where, to my own discredit, weeks turned into months where I had no meaningful relationship with God. So callous had my heart grown that I wasn't even bothered by my own separation from Him. On that occasion, God quickened my spirit to the image of Christ on the cross when He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Bible teachers tell us that that was the very moment that the, that the sins of mankind was placed upon Christ. And that God the Father had to separate from the Son. He had to turn away from the Son because of our sin. All throughout His his human life on earth, Christ was constantly in communion with the Father. I looked at this time and I looked at my own life, how I had gone for weeks and months without even having a quiet time, without even praying. And I didn't even didn't even care. And here Christ was for but a brief moment separated from the Father. And what does He do? He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God showed me in that image how callous my heart had become. Years ago, I was attending a work conference with about 800 fellow employees. How many have ever go to those? <laughs> and uh, they, the company invited guest speakers. It was a husband and a wife team. 
And their theme was on helping us to discover and prioritize our core values. And so they gave each person in in the room about 50 cards, a deck of small little cards. And our job was to sort them and put them in order according to priority. As they walked around the room, they were giving us instructions that that was going to help us to uh, identify, oh, this is more important than that. I was surprised to see that one of the cards actually had the word God written on it. And I was thrilled to see, see that across the table from me was a young man who had placed God in the top row of his priority. How awesome is that? As the instructors walked around giving us uh, direction, one of them came up to me and she bent down. She picked up the card, a, a card and she said, here, I think you must have dropped this. I took the card, turned it over, and it was the God card. And I looked at, my ta- at the table in front of me and my card was seated there. And so I, I turned to the guy beside me. I said, excuse me, I, th- I think you must have dropped this. And he took the card, looked at it, and he goes, oh, no. Matter of factly, he said, no. I threw it on the floor. I was just stunned that someone would say, you know, not only is God not a priority in my life, but I don't want anything to do with him at all. Rick Warren has written the following. You are as close to God as you choose to be. You're going to become a friend of God when you want to become a friend of God. You can't blame anybody else. You can't blame your wife, your husband, your parents, or your kids. And I'm going to add here, I can't blame my job. I can't blame school. can't blame schedule. You, you are as close to God as you want to be. And if you feel far from God, guess who moved? You didn't make him the number one priority of your life. Knowing and loving God is our greatest privilege. And being known and being loved by God is our greatest pleasure. In 2017, God is sending out an invitation to all of us to know him better. He is inviting us. Don't look at the past. Don't look at the things that have happened. He is inviting us to know him in new and exciting ways, to discover him anew. This invitation is sent out to all of us. The third thing that Paul admonishes for living a worthy life is to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. I must admit, this one is a tough one for me. Like many, I'm not naturally a patient person. My wife can attest to that. Uh, For the the past 15 years, my career has been in technology. I love technology. I love new gadgets and stuff. And, you know, when the new iPhone comes out or this here comes out. And uh, uh, not too long ago, I bought a, a new car. It's one of those cars, you know, where you step in and you just push the button to start. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? Well, I was joking with my wife because a couple uh, weeks ago I had to borrow her older van. And uh, I was telling her, oh, how hard it was. I had to reach down in my pocket and pull out the key and stick it into the ignition and turn it on. It was so difficult to drive this older car. 
I love technology. I love new things. You know, I manage a team of software developers and I run a, 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 that manage an e-commerce website. And do you know that e-commerce websites or any website that's successful, you know how much time they, uh, they measure for success of a page to load? Three seconds. If a page takes longer than three seconds on an average to load, that site has a failure. Okay? And many, many companies are now trying to hit less than one second. Imagine that. One, two, three, and that customer says, I'm out of here. That's too long. We want results and we want them now. Years ago, there was a humorous commercial that some of you may remember uh, where a rather hefty man goes into a gymnasium and he steps up on the scale and he, and he weighs himself. Remember the commercial? And he steps down and then he runs around the gymnasium or the gym, comes back six seconds later, steps back on the scales, look at, looks at the, uh, the scale, and when he sees that he hasn't lost any weight, he picks the things up and he starts strangling it. We want results now. Our culture demands results. Uh, it's our birthright. We're Americans. God has designed it that we should have things immediately but this fast-paced, expected-now culture can have a negative spiritual impact as it breeds complacency and the false expectation that everything in life should be easy. This is neither reality nor beneficial to our Christian walk. We hear of fantastic stories of people being radically changed in an instant. Wow, you know, when I got saved, I no longer had the desire to drink or to smoke or to do this. You know, we hear those things. And then when it doesn't happen for us personally, we think that there must be something wrong with us. Well, why didn't this happen for me? Why wasn't I changed in a moment? Must be something wrong. Why would a loving God make us endure such hardship when he has the power to solve our problems right now? You remember the movie E.T.? About the ugly-looking alien? He, he was ugly. Remember Elliot, who, who found E.T. Uh, e. out in the backyard in his shed? Do you remember how he got E.T. to come into his home? He took Reese's Pieces, right? And he went out to the shed, and he put a little pile and then he backed up a little bit further, and he put another little pile. And he did this all the way into the house, up the stairs, and into his room, right? So the question I have for you, if Elliot was going to give E.T. this candy anyway, then why didn't he just give it all to him out in the shed, right? He was going to do it anyway. Why didn't he just say, here you go? Would E.T. have come into the house and into his room? Or even more importantly, would E.T. have become a friend of Elliot? I think we all know the answer would be no. He would have stayed out there. I believe that many times God does the same thing in our own lives. You know, where we're seeking Him, we're seeking Him, and we'll see little dispensation of what He's trying to do. We'll, we'll start to see some victory in our lives, but we wonder why isn't there more? But as we wait patiently and we endure, that's when God begins to deliver great victory in our lives. I believe that there's some people who may be here today, you've given up on seeking your victory because it didn't come when you thought it should have come. 
You've given up. You said, no, nah, I, don't, I don't want that because it's not going to happen. Corey Timboom was an incredible woman of God. I'm sure many of you in here have read some of her stuff. She lost her entire family during World War II as they were sent to a Nazi prison camp for hiding Jews in, in uh, their home. Her amazing story is documented in the book and movie, The Hiding Place. She tells a story that when she was a young girl, she feared that she wouldn't be strong enough to endure being a martyr. Her father asked her, Corey, when you and I go to Amsterdam, they lived in Holland, when do I give you your ticket? She answered, why, just before we get on the train, Papa. Exactly. Our wise Father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him. When the time of need comes, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. After her release from the concentration camp that killed her sister, she penned, God will give us the grace and power we need. The money for the train ticket will arrive just the moment as we are to step on the train. When I was a young man, I recall a time where I was going through a situation in my life where I earnestly pleaded with God to to change the situation. I prayed over and over and over, and it seemed like the more I prayed, the more things stayed the same. And so finally, I, I gave God an ultimatum. I said, God, either change this situation or remove me from it. I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, no. He said... I'm going to change you, Doug, and then I'm going to use you to change the situation. That's how God works in our lives. It's painful. It's hard. I'd rather have this now, God. I'm an American, Lord. I'd rather have this now. But that's not how God's kingdom works. In my life, in your life, we have to press on. We have to press through. Don't give up. Whether it be... If you're seeking God for your struggles at school, work, maybe you have an issue with coworkers or your family or your faith. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your thought life. Seek God for the strength to endure and the patience. And as you seek God, I believe that His Word is saying that we're going to find new levels of victory that we've never experienced before. The fourth admonishment that the apostle gives to us for leading a life, for living a life worthy of the sacrifice of Christ is for us to give joyful thanks to the Father. First, you may say, this one doesn't seem to fit as much, giving thanks. You know, we, you know this is something that a child does when you sit down at a table and you give God thanks for, for his food. Why is this one so important? I think this here aligns us to the perspective that God wants us to have in our life. Remember that verse that he said that we read at first? It says here, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. So when we think that we have nothing else to be thankful for, because there's times where we are really going through stuff, and it's not to make trivial of the stuff that we're going through, but Paul gives us an eternal perspective 
no matter what we're going through in our lives, he's saying, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. A Harvard Health Report states that gratitude helps people connect to something larger than themselves as individuals, whether to other people, nature, or a higher power. Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their lives, improve their health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. The report goes on to say that gratitude is a way for people to appreciate what they have instead of always reaching for something new in the hopes it will make them happier or thinking that they can feel satisfied until every physical or material need is met. Gratitude helps people refocus on what they have instead of what they lack. But when should we actually give thanks to God? Always, right? I mean, that's what we've all been trained to to answer is always give thanks to God. But, you know, that's so much harder to do sometimes. You know, when when you don't get that promotion and it's, it's given to someone else, when you lose your job and you get laid off or you get fired, when that report from the doctor doesn't come back and it's not positive, when things are not going as well in our lives, that to me is when we are to give thanks, more, t- more so than any other time. Giving thanks realigns us to God's perspective. It lets us see things from a kingdom point of view. When I'm feeling down and I begin to, to thank God, not out of a falsity or being fake, but out of sincerity. Because, you know, even when things aren't going well, I can still say, God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. It is important for us to remember that it was when Christ had very little that he gave thanks for what he did have and he saw it, and he saw it multiplied. Or stated differently, it was what Christ gave thanks for that God the Father multiplied. Isn't that interesting? We should also remember that it was when Paul and Silas, who were in prison, when they rejoiced and thanked God that the earth shook and their chains fell off. Nothing realigns us quicker to God's eternal perspective than when we thank Him amid life's circumstances. It reminds us that our current trials and struggles are momentary and that the greater reward awaits for us. Here are some ideas for fostering a life of giving thanks. Number one, give thanks each day when you enter God's presence. I want to talk for a moment about having quiet times. You know, uh, this really isn't in in the script so much. If you struggle with having um, a quiet time or a prayer time with, with the Lord, I want to really challenge you in 2017, begin to establish a daily routine. It can be just 15 minutes, okay? Sometimes we set such monumental goals that we can't even succeed at them. But start off small, okay? But one of the things that I do when I go down, I'll go down in my basement and I'll, I'll start to give thanks. Because more times than not, I'd much rather be in bed. I'll be honest with you. 
But as I begin to give thanks to God, God, I thank you for this here. It's like he awakens my spirit. And now my spirit is focused on him and not on myself. And I begin to give thanks to God. I also want to admonish you too. If, if you struggle with having a quiet time every day, one of the things I find the easiest, I just read a chapter a day. I mean, I know there's some Bible plans where you jump from this to this to this and you have to read so much. I, I don't do that. I just start, just start in the New Testament. Get your Bible and start to read a chapter a day. And also do this. Get a highlighter. Get a pen and a pencil. Write in your Bible. Write the things in which God is showing you. Write it down. Highlight it. And say, this is what God is saying. And if God begins to speak to you, write those things out. And you'll begin to see God do incredible things. This past year, I felt like God asked me to identify the top things in my life that I was trusting Him for. And so I put together a list of eight items that I would say, God, these are the things that I want to see you to do do in my life. I began to pray those things out. Not every day, but often. And one of the things I began to uh, notice is that all eight of these things require my participation. I can't do it by myself, these eight things. That's why I'm going to God. But all of these require me to participate with God so that He can do the things that He wants to do. I want to challenge you this next year. Seek God and begin to establish a time every day where you can go. And if you miss a day, there's no condemnation. God is drawing us. He wants to build that relationship. Begin to seek Him on a daily basis. The second thing, give thanks on special days of Thanksgiving. I'm not talking about the holiday. It's a great time to give, give thanks. But establish in your life days of giving thanks. My wife and I have done this on a couple of occasions where we have been facing a hurdle, something that we couldn't overcome. You know, it's one of those things where you keep praying for and nothing changes. And uh, we felt like God would say, have a, have a day of Thanksgiving. And so we would set a day where we would together begin to just thank God for certain things. We begin to thank God for what He's done in the past. When we remind ourselves, God, you did this, and you did this, and you did this, what it does is it strengthens our faith to face what He wants to do in the future. Set aside a day to begin to thank God. If you feel like in your own life, there's times where maybe I'm feeling like I'm, you know, I have an apathetic spirit. I just don't feel like doing this stuff. Set aside a day of giving thanks. God, I'm going to give you thanks. And what you'll see is that by giving thanks, you're going to start breaking through that apathy or that complacency in your life. If you're struggling with your walk with God, begin to give thanks. It'll begin to change your perspective quicker than any other thing. And the third area is give thanks to others. People often forget to give thanks to others. If you are... If you are uh, an employee, give thanks to your boss. Thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for that pay raise. Thank you for whatever it is. Thank you for that recognition. If, if you're a boss, thank your employees. Well, don't you know I, I pay them? Thank you for so much for going out of your way to work on that. Thank you for doing that. Thank your spouse. Thank your children. It's important for us to establish a lifestyle of giving thanks in our lives. In closing, in the final scene of Saving Private Ryan, a now elderly Ryan visits the gravesite of Captain Miller in Normandy, France. 
He's struggling to validate his life with the sacrifice that was made for him. So he squats down at Captain Miller's grave and he says the following. I think about what you said to me on the bridge every day. I tried to live my life the best I could. I hope in your eyes I've earned what all of you have done for me. And then he stands up and he says to his wife, tell me I've been a good man. Tell me I've lived a good life. The Apostle Paul's prayer for the Colossians was was that they would live a life worthy of Christ's sacrifice. One that pleased God in every way by bearing fruit, growing in their knowledge or relationship with God, being strengthened by God so that they can patiently endure and giving thanks to God. We're going to close now. And if I can have the people that are going to uh, help me pray, go ahead and come up. I wanted to respond somehow to um, what I feel like God is, is saying. And I want to invite you to respond. So I've asked... Uh, different people to come up to just lead us in prayer for these four different areas for 2017. That God would help us to bear fruit. That God would help us to grow in the knowledge of God. That God would help us to be strengthened so that we can patiently endure. And that God would help us to develop a lifestyle of giving thanks. And all I'm going to ask is that if there's an area that you feel like the Spirit is, is moving upon in your life, is for you just to to stand and just say, God, help me to bear more fruit for your kingdom this year. God, help me to to live a life of giving thanks. If you'd want to grow in the knowledge of God and who He is and what it means to be connected to Him, to have a relationship with Him, then I want to encourage you to stand. I want to pray these words that Paul actually prayed for the church in Ephesus for this same thing. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, to understand with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length, the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. And to him who is able to do more abundantly than anything that we can ask or think according to the power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.